the baby boomers led waves of dramatic culture changes. Their voices raise awareness of consumerism, retirement programs, higher education, health care, and civil rights transformations. Now, the baby boomers have reached an age where it is our turn to give back to them for their voices, their struggles, and their footprint on the society we benefit from today. Boomer Living Podcast is dedicated to the support and the enhancement of senior living and the baby boomers' needs and demands. We welcome conversations between caregivers, providers, gerontologists, geriatricians, neurologists, technologists, developers, and operators with one objective to serve our baby boomers. By bringing together these experts and the baby boomers' families, we can share our knowledge that will educate and inspire others on how to care for the baby boomers. We're a social platform that focuses on the respect and care of this aging population that gave their youth and their wisdom to the society we benefit from today. On today's episode, I am talking with Robert Espinoza, and I'm really excited to hear his experience in the fields of aging, caregiving, long-term care, and long-term care workforce issues. You know, often not enough credit is given to those working in the front lines at long-term care and senior living communities. So I'm really glad to have someone here that can shine some light on this topic. Robert, thank you so much for being here on Boomer Living. Thank you for having me on. I look forward to our conversation. Yes, thank you. Let's start by having you share with our audience a little bit about yourself where you're from, and what projects are you working on right now? Sure. So I work for PHI. We are a national organization focused on strengthening the direct care workforce, and I'm the vice president of policy. So I oversee our policy, our research, and our public education division. Some of the projects that PHI is working on right now include a report series on the direct care workforce. It's called Caring for the Future, and it describes the variety of challenges facing this workforce and this sector, and everything that policy leaders and providers can do to really transform this job. We also have state advocacy initiatives in North Carolina, in Michigan, and in New Mexico. And we recently released a report on New Jersey's direct care workforce. So we're seeing a lot of excitement and energy in states around the country to strengthen the sector. Personally, I'm from Southern Colorado. I'm from a city called Pueblo. And I moved to New York probably about 20 years ago and have stayed here since. Can you please tell the listener what that stands for, PHI? Sure. So PHI used to stand for Paraprofessional Healthcare Institutes, but the word paraprofessional is outdated. It's not a term that many workers align themselves with. And so we rebranded to just go by PHI. But in essence, we're still an organization that's about strengthening the direct care workforce. Thank you. So now, how did you become involved in the aging services field? It's a good question. Um, So about 10 years ago, my parents were in their early 70s, um, and I was noticing the challenges that come with aging and not having enough of a system of support. I was noticing financial questions. They were dealing with affordability issues, a complexity in accessing services, or even qualifying and applying for Medicaid. My parents are also both Latino, and my mother is limited in her English proficiency. Um, And so there are a variety of equity and cultural competence questions that emerged. I became more interested in aging and long-term care, um, and I wanted to know what I could do. How could my career shift in that direction, and what could I do to really transform the lives of older adults and their supports as well? So this work has personal meaning to you, and thank you for sharing that. I think for most people, 
I noticed that their interest in workforce and older adult issues is typically a personal question. I think they it's either somebody they they love begins needing access to aging services and long-term care supports, or they themselves need that support. And for me, that awareness really served as an entry point. Mm -hmm, Great. Now, who are the direct care workers and why are they important to the lives and health of older Americans? It's a great question. By definition, direct care workers assist older adults and people with disabilities with a variety of daily tasks, such as dressing, bathing, and eating. Some direct care workers help their clients with housekeeping, and they might assist them with errands, appointments, and social engagements outside of the home health aides and nursing assistants, which are part of the direct care workforce, also perform some clinical tasks, such as blood pressure readings and assistance with range of motion exercises. Our research shows that there are about 4.6 million direct care workers, and they're working in private homes, in nursing homes, and in an array of residential care settings like assisted living. In fact, this workforce is now larger than any single occupation in the U.S., though you wouldn't know that given how these jobs are often not high enough in quality and they don't reflect their value. I would say they're important for older adults because they allow them to live and age with dignity and independence and the setting of their choice. And many older adults wouldn't make it through the day without direct care workers. Absolutely. So what role does employee turnover play in this industry? How do you ensure employee turnover stays low? It's unfortunately a major problem in this sector. There isn't a lot of good data on turnover in the direct care workforce. And what we know is that from the studies that we encounter, that turnover can range, hover around 60 to 80 percent. And often within the first 90 days, so many workers are choosing to leave these roles or are leaving these roles, typically for other sectors. And what it's done is it's created an enormous need, especially in the years ahead. So our research estimates that between 2018 and 2028, the long-term care sector will need to fill about 8.2 million job openings in direct care. Turnover is a major challenge for this sector. There isn't a lot of good data on turnover among direct care workers. What we know is that studies tend to estimate at around 70, 60 to 80% among direct care workers, and many workers leave these jobs within the first 90 days. What we know is that because of growing demand and because of turnover, the long-term care sector will need to fill about 8.2 million jobs in direct care between 2018 and 2028. And this is a credible problem, right? How will employers and providers have enough workers to meet demand given the growing numbers of older adults that are encountered in all their settings? I think what we need to think about when we think about solutions for turnover. We need to think about all the reasons these workers leave these jobs. They leave because they aren't compensated enough. They leave because training isn't strong enough, because there aren't career paths. They leave because of supervisors. Many direct care workers will report that their supervisors are the main reason why they leave these jobs. And all of these dimensions of job quality need to be transformed. They can be transformed at the government level, or they can be transformed by employers as well. Absolutely. I think the folks that you want to cultivate in the team culture includes the caregivers. And if they don't have a sense of cultivation that the employer cares about their career growth, their education, their families, all of that is so important to everybody. It's important for you. It's important for me. And if you're working for an employer that supports that, then you're more inclined and wanting to show up for work. I know that it is ongoing problem even before COVID is going to 
magnify. We have to come up with solutions, like you said, better provide for them education, career path, better pay. That's right. I think all of the challenges that we have seen during COVID-19 predate really the virus, the pandemic, the challenges with poor compensation or limited training, all of which became amplified during the COVID-19 crisis, they all predated and they will outlive the COVID-19 crisis unless we as a sector, we as a country better invest in these jobs. I agree. So COVID-19 has obviously impacted pretty much every sector in the business. What effect has it had on the aging services industry specifically? Yeah, on aging services, I think given that the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 has been on older adults, specifically older adults with underlying conditions and people of color who are older, I think it's had a, a tremendous impact. We focus primarily on the direct care workforce and the long-term care sector. And what we saw from the very beginning were that, was that direct care workers were on the front line of this crisis. They were, of course, supporting older adults and people with disabilities in their homes, in nursing homes, where the COVID-19 crisis has really ravaged the lives of older residents and their workers, and in assisted living facilities. Yet they were often doing this without proper PPE, without enough supplies, without testing. And we'll see if this happens again with vaccines Mm -hmm. once they're introduced. We also saw that many direct care workers, because they weren't guaranteed that they could be protected and they weren't properly compensated about $12 an hour, many workers left the sector. So a recent study estimated that the number of direct care workers dropped by about 280,000 workers during the first three months of the crisis. And most of those were in home care. Essentially, workers were saying we are not willing to risk our lives for $12 an hour if we can't be guaranteed safety measures. And the data that we've seen on this sector has shown that, you know, about 318,000 nursing home staff have suspected or diagnosed cases of COVID-19, and approximately 900 have died. That's as as of Mm -hmm. mid-September. There aren't comparable figures on home care workers, but we can imagine it's probably had a similar impact. I'm glad to have this opportunity to bring this to light. So you recently wrote a new report on the direct care workforce that outlines five areas and 28 key strategies for improving jobs in this sector. So what do you see as the biggest challenges the sector is facing? And can you go through the report? Yes, absolutely. So the report is called, Would You Stay? Rethinking Direct Care Job Quality. And it takes a look at the direct care workforce and the longstanding challenges in job quality that have shaped this workforce. It also looks at the impact of COVID-19 and it introduces our new framework at PHI, which we're calling the five pillars of direct care job quality. The five pillars are quality training, quality jobs should ensure that all workers acquire the skills, the knowledge, and the confidence to succeed in their roles. And one key element of this pillar is, for example, designing competency-based adult learner-centered instruction with hands-on learning. These roles require that level of instruction. A second pillar is fair compensation. Workers should be able to achieve economic stability, and they should be able to plan for their future like all of us. Among other elements, this includes providing a living wage as a base wage, and also access to full-time hours. Many workers don't have access to full-time hours, and that's that creates you know, poverty-level conditions. A third pillar is quality supervision and support that really honors their expertise, their contributions, and their diverse life experiences. And here we argue for the importance 
of centering direct care workers in an organization's mission, their values, and their business plans. And the fifth is real opportunity. How do we invest in workers' learning, development, and career advancement opportunities? And a key element here is making sure that workers have access to career paths where they can increase their responsibilities, their wages, and their titles also improve and are commensurate with their level of experience. By the way, these five pillars are met primarily in the report for employers, but they should also inform public policy and they should inform all Mm -hmm. of our everyday decisions. This is very good for employers, whether it's senior living, home care, it ought to become part of the discussion for the policymakers. So where can people find more about your report? How do they access that? Absolutely. All of our information in that report are on our website, which is Mm phinational.org. Great. Now, while you've mentioned some of the problems this industry faces every day, I wonder what gives you hope about the future of this sector? It's a great question. I think what gives me hope are a few things. One is I'm inspired by policymakers in states all around the country and even at the federal level who are beginning to gradually propose new laws and policies that improve compensation, that strengthen training, that provide career paths, that strengthen the data and the financing around this workforce. It gives us a sense that governments are waking up to the reality that these workers are important, but their jobs don't reflect that importance. We're also seeing a lot of innovation coming from the private sector as we all grapple with these questions. And I think they will play a critical role in making sure that these jobs are strong and that they're optimized. I think for older adults, one of the most promising developments for me has been in regard to social insurance programs and long-term care. In 2019, uh, Washington State created the nation's first public state-operated long-term care insurance program, where they pay benefits up to $36,000 for people who need assistance with regular daily activities. And we need those kinds of programs and public investment in long-term care that will make it more affordable for all of us to access long-term care and not require us to go into poverty to qualify for Medicaid. Um, Also, these programs should create good jobs for workers, but it's a promising development. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So what do you see, let's say 10 or 20 years from now, what is your long-term hope or expectation or maybe impact that you and your company are aspiring to achieve? Sure. I think in 20 years, I hope that we have expanded access to home and community-based services to as many people who need it for regardless of what level of care you need it for. I think expanding that ser- those services and supports is really what most people want. Most people report wanting to age in their homes and communities. And I hope that 20 years from now, that's a reality. I hope that we create more equity for people, both as older adults, but also as workers. And in a workforce that's primarily women and people of color and increasingly immigrants, equity looks, looks in a very specific way. And how do we make sure that our access to supports are equitable regardless of who we are. Um, And the final piece is I hope that direct care jobs by that point are in fact high in quality, that they have fair compensation and quality training, that they're respected and recognized and properly supervised, and that there are real opportunities for their learning, for their development, and for their career. Very true. If there's anything that's positive that came out of this is uncovering the problem that already existed and bringing it to light and amplifying it so that we have more policymakers and support of caregivers across the board. That's right. Yeah. So now, have you given thought to your own aging journey and how would you like to grow old? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I have given thought. I mean, I think working in this sector opens your eyes to the kinds of goals that you might have as an older person. And I've had that in the last 10 years. I absolutely prefer to age in my home and in my community. My personal settings are important to me and my community has the resources that I want and that I need. And currently I live in Brooklyn, New York, where um, I feel just a very strong affinity for everything that I'm doing on a personal level to plan for my aging is about that reality. I also want to age supported by friends and by families. I don't want to be isolated or lonely. And those two phenomena, social isolation and loneliness, are a profound problem for older adults in this country. Um, And we need to take measures ourselves as well to make sure that we have the kind of community supports and that we have strong friends and families and that we're taking care of our mental health so that we don't feel lonely. I keep an eye towards that as well. Mm -hmm. Very true. I'm so thankful of technology in the midst of the pandemic because it allows us to have this conversation, be engaged and stay connected with family. But I also think we need to get back to that physical human touch and one-on-one being at the table, having a meal with your mom, because you don't know, depending on the acuity level, it's not about words. It's not about conversation. It's about disposition and presence. Loneliness, isolation, it was a problem before COVID and now it's amplified. And I'm hopeful that folks like you and many who are impactful in serving older adults find ways, solutions to not only to engage them through technology, but just more meaningful relationship, purposeful activities to allow them to continue to thrive. That's right. And for us, it's also in the setting of your choice, right? I think that older adults, all of us, should be able to choose where we want to live and age and thrive. And that requires, in many cases, well-supported, properly compensated workers. So I, I see that as part of my aging journey as well, making sure that workers have that level of support. Absolutely. Do your own preferences for later in life care inform how you make decisions in this sector? And do you put yourself in resident shoes from time to time? I do. You know, I I also have my mother's in a nursing home in northern Colorado. And so I've had a lot of personal interaction with that setting and with the realities of the nursing home world. My father is supported for the most part by my sister. He lives with her. And so I see the family caregiving issues that surface as well. I think what I see in their lives and in my own vision for my aging is that it's important for long-term care to be affordable. I think that too many people Mm -hmm. don't have financial options. And we live in a country in which only, really only Medicaid pays for long-term care and Medicaid requires that you be poor and low income. And so that forces many people who need a certain level of care to first exhaust their assets and their income in order to qualify for government support. And they shouldn't be that way. And I think that I hope that we can imagine a whole new financing approach to long-term care that doesn't push people into poverty for that. I also think cultural and linguistic competence is really important to many people. I feel like the workers that I'm interacting with, that my mother's interacting with, they should really respect and honor her as a person, as as an immigrant, as a woman from Mexico, as an older person with disabilities, and as her own person with her own ideas and her own aspirations. Like, how do we create that culturally competent, person-centered care that she deserves and that all of us deserves? I want that as well. And I think I've learned that from my experience and her experience. Yeah, that's true. Person-centered care as opposed to an illness-centered care. 
I think it's very important that you see the person of where they are and their abilities that they can continue to function with. It takes a caregiver to be properly trained and supported, an infrastructure in their employer to support that, to lend itself for that. So it's really all-encompassing. It's policymakers, it's you and I, it's the employer, and it's the mindset towards the aging, right? That's a different topic, but it's a big topic, though, because I think our culture historically looked at the aging journey or the age, the aging population. It's something very frowned upon, uh, declining, maybe even useless. So I think there's so much work in this whole realm. And thank you for doing what you're doing. That's a big impact that you're pushing forward. And I love to have you on this forum. It was my driving force is to have folks like you do what you're doing and bring it to light and just amplify that. Thank you. And thank you for your work in amplifying these kinds of issues and these kinds of challenges. Yeah, I think often it's not heard of. It's not exciting to talk about declining of health. It's not exciting to talk about caring for someone that societies perceive as not useful. I think for me, that brings up kind of the ageism that we have as a culture where we see only older adults as frail, as, as in need of medical treatments, as some, as people who should be rendered invisible in public and social and political life. When in fact, aging also is about resilience. It's about wisdom. It's about, and it's just the fabric of who we are. And other cultures might do a better job of acknowledging and respecting elders and centering them as really key parts of their communities. And I think as a country, we should learn from that because older aging shouldn't mm-hmm. have to look entirely like that. That's a big paradigm shift. And we are all part of that shift. So it isn't the neighbors or your employer or the policymakers. It's really you and I and everybody that's aging, that's breathing. I love to be a part of that shift. And that's why it's very important to put it on the media, on the spotlight, more positive of the aging journey, as opposed to what you have seen the past nine months of what the media perceives senior living to be. Do you have anything else that you would like to share? I think though the only last thing I would share is that I've learned a lot in the last 10 years, I think working in the aging sector and with older adults. And that has been just incredible. When I first entered this sector, I didn't know how rich with information and how complex the aging support system is, the long-term care support system is, and how much it's evolved even in the last 10 years. So for anybody who's new to this sector, who's struggling to figure out all the pieces, connect all the dots, it will happen. I think it's something that happens over time. And the more we learn and strengthen the system, the more we can improve it. So thank you also for bringing attention to so many different issues that are important to older adults and their families. Yeah, thank you. And I love what you said, strengthen the system. It is a much needed system and we're part of that system. And we can take ownership. We have a responsibility to be a part of uh, a positive impact. So I love what you're doing and thank you. Thank you again uh, for including me. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Boomer Living Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, boomerliving.tv, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and other platforms. This way, you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we would really appreciate a rating in iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us tremendously. Be sure to tune in weekly for our next episode. And remember, growing old is the purest and the most positive experience of human existence.